You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, Daniel Craig finally steps into the Bond shoes as we go back to the very first Bond book. It's 2006's Casino Royale. Hello, everybody. The Bondzilla Podcast is back in action. We are ready here for another new episode. I am Nick. I am Will. And Nick, I I love that theme song. It's a great theme song. I uh, like we go old pal Kyle. Yeah, no, did a great job. Did a but great, fantastic y- job. You know, with it. it's a new year, Nick. It's a new year, new Bond movies to revisit for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, new Godzilla movies for you to visit for the first time, yes. first visit. Uh, yes, and you know what? I, I haven't seen any more uh, other than 2014. Yeah, so 2014 is the last of. How the- long have we been at this now? We've been at this for like about like. M- not is, has it been a whole two years or has it just been? It's been well. I mean, we it's been we, close. It's been close to two years, yeah. but we also had some breaks and and stuff in between. Yeah. So you know, in 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 total, probably two years. Yeah, I'm, I you know what? I'm excited. It's been a while We've of done us doing this. A lot of episodes. Yeah, and you know, I am more jazzed than ever now. It's uh, it's a new year. I'm refreshed. Mm-hmm. Nick, it's the new year. Mm-hmm. Do you have any bond related New Year's resolutions? Bond related New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Let's see. Um well, or at least any like goals. <laughs> bond related. Bond related goals. I yeah. do want to know a title <laughs> for the Bond 25. What which are, I yeah, think what are you for, hoping for bond wise this year? Oh, oh, definitely just you know, this movie to start being made, Yeah. which I mean it it's on its way. It's definitely got a more solid track than it ever has. You know, and it's it's on pace. You know, it's supposed to supposedly on pace for a year from now, for like a January February twenty twenty release, um, which is a very interesting release date. You know, people like really crowding. It's going to come out the same day as Matt Reeves Batman. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same movie. Yeah, it really is. Um, Oh my god, can you imagine? That's the trailer at at, in Hall H. Bond versus Batman. (laughs) What would you do? I. I would be, I would be really weirded out. Yeah, especially with being Craig, because it would have to be Craig at this point. Like you know, <laughs> um, well, Bond related. Um, I don't know. It's a very interesting because, like, no, it really I mean, is like that, the thing we're looking the, the thing we're looking forward to most is um that the the news on the Bond movie, yeah. like the new movie Bond Twenty Five, the yeah. as of yet untitled. You know, Dennis Vanilla movie. Yeah. Um, I know that's not his name, but it's so much. I call him Dennis Vanilla. Denny Villeneuve. Yes, I know. Denny Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah. Um, Villeneuve. And like all, there's still all these rumors about it, and I'm just like, I just kind of want something solid, you know? Yeah. Because I think like now, I mean, when we, whatever we, we will eventually, I guess, talk about that film, even if it's in some different form down the line. Um, whether it's like on this podcast or maybe like if we end up, you know, spinning this off into something else, yeah. we'll eventually talk about it. And I think one of the joys I have had in in doing this podcast is just discovering all the production stories. 
And I think that I'm I'm kind of more at at peace with this that Bond twenty five is just another weird Bond production story. I, but it's like I love how you you often question if it's gonna happen. Like of course well, it's gonna happen. No, it's gonna happen now. I yeah. I, I, I I'm I'm totally into it now. I just yeah. I just need but it, there's still a nebulousness to it. There's mm-hmm. still like a little bit of a, like it's where is it? Like yeah. what is it? Yeah. Because how is it? I think I, we had a friend who brought this up. But what's very interesting about Bond Twenty Five, whatever it is it be, is that it's really the true first time that we know going into it that it's the person's last Bond movie. We mm. like we go we know that it's Craig's last. Yeah. Because yeah. even. Like, people generally assumed that, like, View to a Kill was going to be Moore's last, but there was always that kind of, like, he had said he was leaving before, and then he came back. All right. But, like, all the other Bonds have just, like, you know, had had, that haven't had that, like, exit. So, yeah. and and to be fair, and we're, we'll definitely get into this kind of now, but also as we get through these Craig movies, Craig is a Bond that does kind of have a little bit of a float of an arc and, and, you know, kind of a connection between all of his movies. Sure. So how, you know... <laughs> You know, if you do, nobody saw how I said that. I was like, "Sure, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent." It was me, James. Hashtag it was me, James. It was always me, James. Not yet, but we'll get there. Me, um, but but there is sort of a connect, at least a connection between the movies. You know, yeah. Quantum Inspector sure. kind of flow through the films, and it it will be interesting to see like if they play to that that this is like you know like the end of this Bond's adventures, or it will it will be just. Here's a general Bond adventure, and then the next one is just we move on again. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they choose. Well, unfortunately, uh, I'm not in your position because I have a movie coming you out. On my a, end. We were supposed we were both have both have movies coming out this year, and uh, you don't have a movie coming out this no, year. We were supposed talking? to. Oh, you were. Yeah, we were supposed. We were supposed to. to both have movies coming out this year, dude. Technically, I've had two movies come out this year if mm. we include the anime. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm so looking well, forward. When's to King when's of the King, when's Kong scheduled? Oh. Maybe twenty twenty. Well, that may be next year. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So we would because they just wrapped, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. So I mean, they can, and they can't keep it to twenty twenty one. Yeah. Uh, I, dude, I'm so looking. Much I know. We're we're both really excited. We're both really excited for King of the Monsters. I'm so excited. I did get uh, because it's been the holidays. My one of my favorite Christmas gifts was a friend, Patrick and Maddie. I'll name drop them. They gave me one of my favorite Christmas gifts. I'll post it on the gram or on the Twitter the facebook it was a coffee mug with little cutesy yeah. uh, godzilla kaiju on cool. them I oh like i did buy myself a bond related christmas gift yeah well that was going to be my next question did you get any bond related christmas gifts? oh i bought myself a bond related christmas gift and what did you get the 1967 casino royale on blu-ray nice which okay well it's not the casino royale we're talking about today yeah. but it is a casino royale we're talking about in the future sure and i did rewatch it and I did rewatch the documentary. And let me guess. You can't wait for us to talk about I it. I cannot wait. Listen, I'll, the only thing I'll say is that the documentary on the Blue Bay. On the, the Blue Bay? On the, <laughs> on the Blue Bay. The documentary <laughs> on the Casino Royale 1967 Blu-ray completely craps all over the movie. Like, everybody in that is just like, oh, this movie was awful. <laughs> if that's your bonus feature, you know it's going to be a good time on the Bonzilla podcast. But we don't have that to talk about today. That's a Casino Royale for the future. But we yes. have a Casino Royale of the now. <sighs> I guess I should let you have that segue. Yes. It was a pretty good one, so I'll let you have it. Mm-hmm. I'll have my time in the sun. Yeah, someday. One day. You do one have day. a Space Godzilla coming up, so. Yeah, one day I'll be able, one day I'll be king. <laughs> just murder Everything you. the light touches is your king. Can you imagine if like there's just a coup on this podcast? Which is like assuming you're the leader. I wonder what people... 
Audiences, chime in on the on Twitter. Who do you think the leader is? Well, I'm always the first the one that is. talks in the episode, so. Yeah, but I give I gave you that right, and I also give all the plugs at the end. Yeah, now I never do them well, but, but I give all the plugs but, at the end. But none of the show would happen if it weren't for me. Yeah, that's and true. my technical experience. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling all the strings. Oh yeah, you're the Vader. You're the, the audio guy. Yeah, and I'm, the editing guy. Yeah, and also and the Nick, guy. Nick, are you saying it was me, James? The whole time, the architect of all your podcast. <laughs> <sighs> We, we, we still got a little bit to go oh for that. Oh, my still, God, we still got dude. Time. But why not talk about it now? Clearly, he this is all due to him. It was him, James. That really doesn't make sense when you watch this movie. <laughs> but I will say, uh, as we're going into it, Nick, uh, title of the movie being... Casino Royale. Of what year? 2006. Uh, we are entering the Bond era of uh, films. Yeah, we're entering... I have oh, seen yeah. all of these. Yes, you have seen all of these. Yeah. We, this is the most recent Bond. This yeah. is like... And there's going to be a little bit of jumping around in this one because sure. we're going to go back to 2003 first. Okay. Uh, so 2003, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson again are in charge of the franchise. Die Another Day came out at the end of 2002 and was the most successful Bond movie ever made at that point. It it made you know hundreds of millions of dollars. Un- made, insane. Made more money than anything else. Unbelievable that 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 it has that. Yeah. Uh, that well it had that. Yeah. Well had that. Had that that time. Yeah. Uh, well, because it's not because it's it, it it is interesting to think like that they take this radical change off of a movie that was successful. Yes. So there are so Brosnan contract has run out with four. Yeah. And as I mentioned at the end of Die Another Day, they did start negotiations for a fifth movie with Brosnan and knowing that would be the last one. But as halfway through negotiations again, it just doesn't. It's not working out. It's not going the way that Michael and, and Barbara want it and really like they're kind of feeling like the the even though that Die Another Day was successful the reception to it is really kind of you know getting not getting to them but it's really making them think mm-hmm. because again as I mentioned they know that like well we can we only only go down from there if we go back to Brosnan We're, we don't know if we can match that and the movie was pretty insane in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and going trying to go bigger might cause them to you know lose their audience even more technically speaking or right. lose lose the critical audience and that can you know relate to how the audiences might perceive it mm-hmm. or do or do audiences you no know, did audience come down but did audiences really enjoy it you know did they you know a lot of people went out to see it but you know did they really enjoy it would they go out to sure. see something else like this so Barbara and Wilson have a talk down, and again, Barbara's a little more active in the Hollywood scene. She knows that there are some kind of more of these grittier reboots being developed. Again, she knows about the script that would eventually become Batman Begins is out there yeah. uh, being developed. Again, when, not, did Bourne, not, when did Bourne come out? Uh, in that same time frame. Yeah. I forget the exact I'll year. Yeah, I think it's like 2000. Was it 2004, 2005-ish? Continue. I'll look it up. Um, but it was in that same time frame, you know, and, and she kind of sees... Well, maybe there is a chance for us to kind of move a direction that, like, instead of going to, you know, trying to top what we did with Brosnan, let's kind of, like, just leave it at where it is. He is at the height of his time with us. Let's do something new. Yeah, Bourne came out in uh, 2002. 2002. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just around that time, right? Yeah. She sees Bourne, and, you know, she knows Batman Begins is being developed, and it's like, and she's, 
a lot more active in in Hollywood scene than even her father was, and and Cubby, and even Wilson. You know, Eon can sometimes be a little bit you know in its own world, right? As yeah. as Toho has been in its own world. <laughs> well, and there's a. I mean, I've drawn the the comparison a couple times. Is that the, it does sound like there is some smart producing taking place here that you can uh, draw a parallel to Marvel now in, with Kevin Feige. Is that there is a little bit of the sense of like, well, we made it through this movie and we were successful. But we understand what the what the reception was, mm-hmm. uh, so we're gonna make Thor Ragnarok now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. um, but it, but it's just funny because then then it's like all right, we're gonna take a new approach, right. and it's just smart producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get to discussing where they could go if they don't go back to Brosnan mm-hmm. at this point, and 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 really they've made the decision that they're they're gonna give up on on getting Brosnan back. Um, not that Brosnan doesn't want to be back because he wants to, but it's just like I think they're at this point decided. And it's at this point that Wilson brings up Casino Royale. So, we're going to backtrack a little bit. Because if we go back in time, all the way back to 1954, mm-hmm. we remember that... <gasps> 1954? <laughs> we remember from basically our first episode, yeah. uh, Dr. No, that Ian Fleming sold off the Casino Royale rights uh, to a, an American tele- you know, an American uh, producer at the time... Where they made a uh, TV version of the of the book for mm-hmm. climax with an exclamation point, mm-hmm. uh, which replaced James Bond with American Jimmy Bond, but basically followed the plot of the book. Right. So that was 1954, and since then, basically the Casino Royale rights kind of hopped around. It was the one set of rights that uh, Eon and Cubby never ever really got. So because it kind of went from that producer, it was sold to another guy, then it eventually went to uh, Charles K. Felding, who did the 1967 spoof version, which again is an episode coming up in the future. Um, and then when Feldman died, there was this weird little thing where because Columbia made Casino Royale, but United Artists had the deal with Feldman, they kind of split the rights, so nobody could really make the movie. So yeah. the rights were kind of left in limbo for a very long time. Um, and, and Cubby was, was kind of interested in Casino Royale. He thought it was a very unique take, you know, as being the first book, but he always, he always felt as well that like the Bond franchise has just evolved from Casino Royale, like going back to Casino Royale after they had done stuff like Hmm. Thunderball and, you know, uh, you only live twice. And it is funny that like, that there wasn't that urge to go back to basics, which is like the, the Bond franchise never seemed to have, like it always wanted to Like there were times where they kind of did it like you know they kind of did it with free your eyes only they kind of did it with the living daylights kind of toning down a little bit but not really like both yeah, of the, but yeah. both of those films were like they might have started out that way but then they also kind of got they just kind of got that bond like they, yeah, they became still the globe, bond movies they're still the globe trotting yeah. and like the elaborate uh, schemes and, yes. yeah um so but there was just like he just felt that like you know as he said to Wilson when he tried to do the young the the Bond origin around Living Daylights, is that you know audiences want to see where where Bond is going. They don't want to see where he's been. He just felt that like something as low key as Casino Royale just wouldn't fit where the franchise had gone. So Cubby never really pursued um, the Casino Royale rights. He was happy with what they had because they had every other book and every other story. So it's not like they had material to run out of, and they weren't you know against doing original material, especially. You know, with Fleming dead and not having to really go to him through through that. Uh, so again, the rights kind of stayed nebulous, and then people kind of forgot really what was happening. But in 1997, our old friend Kevin McClory, yeah, brings it back up because <laughs> again, and it's another thing we're going to talk about. Kevin McClory had made it a successful Thunderball remake in um, 
Never Say Never Again in the 1980s. Uh, and now, after GoldenEye's success, he's seeing dollar signs again. And he's like, well, I still have these <laughs> Thunderball rights. So he, st- so he starts developing a strip called Warhead 2000, which is basically another updated remake of Thunderball. But he's got bigger plans this time. Oh. So McClory goes to Sony, who now owns Columbia, which now, again, has those partial rights to uh, Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And he's like, listen, I have this Bond script. You have this Bond book. Mm. Why don't we do a mini franchise of mm. Bond movies? So we can make kind of a, you know, because that was the problem. McClory always regretted that he couldn't do more with Bond after, you know, the success of Never Say Never Again. Because the only thing he could really do is make another Thunderball. And he can't remake the movie he just remade. Mm-hmm. So now he's thinking, well, if I remake this again, but then we combine it and, and add Casino Royale into the mix, we could we could have more than one Bond movie. And the executives at Sony are like, oh, this actually could be interesting. Because, again, they see the success of GoldenEye. And at this point, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies is ramping up. This could be something they, they like. MGM and, and Eon are not having none of it. They're like, first of all, McClory, you already had your chance. Mm-hmm. You may remade Thunderball. And they're kind of getting into this argument like, well, is this a really a Thunderball remake? Or is this, have you changed it too much where now you've, you've, sure. it's not really Thunderball? And then they're also getting ready to sue Sony because they're like, wait, listen, we co-own the rights with you. We still co-own the rights of Casino Royale. And you trying to you know, lead the consumers into thinking that you're part of this Bond franchise is, you know, is, is false advertising. Mm-hmm. And Sony's like, okay, wait, we just listen to this pitch. Listen, we don't really want to get involved. Uh, and so basically they go into negotiations. And Sony comes up with a solution because there's another franchise that the two companies, MGM okay. and Sony, have been feuding over over the years. Okay. So a trade is made. Okay. A deal is made. Okay. Sony gives MGM and United Artists and Eon full rights to Casino Royale. Got it. And Sony, in return, gets MGM's stake in the Spider-Man franchise. That is why, off mic, you gave me a piece of information that was hysterical about the Spider-Man rights. Mm -hmm. Um, Long story short, uh, somebody got the Spider-Man rights because they thought it was about a were-spider. Yes. And by a were-spider, I mean like a werewolf Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, it's a man who turns into a spider. Yes. So basically, (laughs) yes. So... So in in 1999, I did not know MGM had any stake. In yeah. So Spider-Man. basically, back in the day, so basically the can remember that weird James Cameron version of Spider-Man? that was going to be an MGM. Movie? That was going to be an MGM film. Wow. Which is another thing that gets in a whole thing where then 20th Century Fox came into that one. It's like no, we we have an exclusive deal with Cameron. You can't use Cameron. It's a whole thing. Okay. It's really weird. Yeah. But anyways, so it basically the the chorus of history has changed. Yeah. Because Sony immediately gets into. A Spider-Man franchise, like they literally, like they get the rights in '99, and then boom, that movie's out by what 2000, 2000. Which is crazy, and that's one of the reasons I love, like, one of the goals of what we're doing here is like we're looking at this film history and things yeah. because that changed like the course of a lot of what Sony does. Like, because Sony, like, that's their bread and butter now, yeah. And you know, and they've been doing all sorts of things with Spider-Man, working with Marvel, coming out with Spider-Verse now. And yeah, it has been a staple of like it's one of it's been one of the things they lean on mm-hmm. since then. Yeah, it's so that's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna get crazier in a little bit. Yes. Okay. So I'll I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So so now again, it, so basically the deal was that in in 1999 into 2000 the rights would switch. So 
MGM would give Sony all the Spider-Man rights, and uh, Sony would give all the the Casino Royale rights, rights to the Bond fan, for the Bond team. So now they were kind of looking at Casino Royale, but they were looking at it well. It like they were looking. It's the first Bond book. It is a lower key Bond adventure. It's honestly a lot of people still say it's it was Fleming's best book. Yeah, and. Barbara and Michael both agree that like if they do this, it's going to be essentially a reboot. They're going to do Young Bond, and and Wilson's like, well, I I finally learned my lesson because when he did the the Bond origin pitch before Living Daylights, he felt that his mistake was that he made Bond too young, that he made Bond like in his like early twenties, and he felt that. Even he felt he could like do Casino Royale justice because obviously the '67 version is not an accurate version of the book. Uh, even the '54 version is not an accurate version of the book, and it's a really great book too that they both love. Uh, it's a book that Nur- Pier- excuse me, Purvis and Wade, mm-hmm. uh, who are writing these movies, they've brought up to them before, even before they've owned the rights. Uh, and the funny story, um, Wade said that they were in a meeting with Halle Berry about the Jinx movie when they got the call from Barbara Broccoli that said, pick up your copy of Casino Royale. That's our next film. Um, but basically, uh, they basically decide this is what we're doing. We're uh-huh. going to kind of go back to basics, yeah. really kind of get the book. So the instructions as they start produ- they start kind of writing it late 2003, 2004, and the instructions that are given to Purvis and Wade from Barbara Broccoli and um, Wilson is like, match the book as best as you can. Like, basically make it make it a Fleming book on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, they get that script, and it really is, and this, this script that they have is pretty close to the end product with, a, with one rewrite from another writer, uh, is essentially Casino Royale on screen with some additional stuff in the beginning to get to the, to get to the poker stuff. And then a little bit more at the end of the movie, even though it's basically the same idea that's in the book. Um, but so it's very interesting. So this is really the closest that the Fleming book character has ever been on screen. Mm-hmm. So they're getting ready to go. They have a script ready to go in 2004, and they're going to start kind of casting things. When production is halted because MGM is purchased by Sony. What? What? So Sony won in the end. They got their Spider-Man rights. They made their Spider-Man franchise and then ended up getting all the Bond rights at the end of the day. So Sony eventually owns MGM right. and they own the distribution deal with Eon now. And so there's a little bit more of remaneuvering about budgets and, and producers and stuff like that. But eventually all that gets settled out in late 2004. Uh, so they're very happy. Wilson and, and Broccoli are very happy with the script. And again, it's that very close to the Fleming um, the Fleming book, and it's going to be a very different movie in their eyes. And so now is the time for them to kind of cast their bond. Um, so again, they go for the idea, young but not too young. Mm-hmm. Sony's pitch, now that they're in control, Sony's pitch is Hugh Jackman. Interesting. Uh, but basically, just like with the whole Mel Gibson thing that MGM was obsessed with in the 90s, you know, there is kind of feelers put out, but Eon is still like, no, we want kind of someone, you know, not, you know, because he's already been Wolverine at this point. We want kind of someone that, you know, that's going to be Bond. It's uh-huh. just going to be Bond. Um, so a couple people are kind of tested. There are a couple of people asked around. 
Uh, Carl Urban is invited to do a screen test. Interesting. Uh, Gerard Butler is invited to do a screen test. Interesting. Uh, Dominic West is also invited. Somewhat interesting. But at the end of the day, it comes down to three. There's one final set of screen tests that happens in September, late September 2004. Uh, that basically are going to determine who is going to be Bond. Mm-hmm. First one up, Sam Worthington. Right, because this is the early 2000s. Yes. Oh, no. For those of you who don't know, I have this whole thing about Sam Worthington, how he was he was just one of those actors that Hollywood decided, this is your new guy, and he was in everything for a while. Yeah. Or just, mm-hmm. oh, God. So Sam Worthington does... And he's really not that bad. Yeah. I really should, like, out of all the actors they've done it with, he's yeah. not the worst one of so, them. So uh, Sam Worthington uh, does his screen test. The next one up is uh, Henry Cavill. So yeah, he was a hot. These make so much sense now. That I'm hearing these. These are so early 2000s. So like, according to eventual director Martin Campbell, which we'll talk about uh, when we get to that, uh, Cavill was basically like really close to getting the role. Like that was neck and neck with Craig, who we'll talk about in a second. But the thing, the the thing that basically made Cavill not get it is that at the time he was 22, and everybody just felt that was just too young, mm-hmm. too young for what they wanted. So then the last person is Daniel Craig. So Daniel Craig at this point, you know, had done a lot of supporting roles. Yeah. Was um, like, mostly like. Well, he, you're talking about Henry Cavill? Yeah. Oh, I, I was thinking about another guy. Oh, no, that would have been interesting, actually. Because he really wasn't on the scene no. at that point. No. Uh, that's oh, right. yeah. Then, I, then I'm mistaken. I, I was thinking of another. I was thinking of the other Cavill. The Cavill that was like Jesus. Oh. Yeah. I was thinking about him. No. Henry. Oh. Oh, uh, hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So Daniel Craig. Daniel he was Craig. in Invasion. <laughs> he's probably <laughs> at that. Well, he was probably most known for Tomb Raider at that point. Um, and and Munich. Well, Munich and Road to Perdition yeah, were probably yeah, yeah. his main three. Yeah. But Barbara Broccoli saw him in a uh, British gangster movie called Layer Cake. That's the big one that like people who know are into movies yeah. go to is like oh that's we love Daniel Craig in that yeah but because like because that was really Craig's first leading leading role yeah I, or like his major coming out and and Barbara was just blown away by his performance in that movie and uh-huh. that was like Barbara had said that 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 was her first choice yeah as much as as Campbell says Henry Cavill almost got the role was very close I'm sure he was that that Craig was always her first choice yeah uh, of course Craig said no initially. Because he was like, I, I just, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not Bond. Uh, and he was like, well, I don't want to be like, you know, he knew like the the the, Bro- the Brosnan movies. He knew like the franchise, right? You know, he's like, I, I mean, that's, I don't want to be something that like kind of silly. It's kind of worn out at this point, right? Right, right. But then they send him the Casino Royale script and he is just basically like, this is new. This is sure. a little bit different than what it is. And eventually they do convince him to come out for the screen test. They do convince him uh, that he would agree. And so... The story goes, as, as Craig tells it, that he was uh, on a shoot in Baltimore, and he was doing some shopping just to get some food, and he got a call from Barbara Broccoli and said, uh, you're up, kiddo, mm-hmm. and then he got very drunk that night. He said he went to a bar and didn't tell anybody and just drank the night away, because he was like, oh, might what? as well get it over with then. He's like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and it has been a question that has plagued him. For four more movies. Okay, listen. I'm going to say this right now. 
<laughs> watching the bonus feature of like the production, yeah, you can tell that he like immediately is like, I don't know if I should have done this. Like he's in all of his interviews, there's just a tinge of like, I kind of regret this as much as I enjoy it. I kind of regret it. And it's yeah. only going to get well, worse he, from here. He does kind of seem like one of those guys who has no problem actually playing the role, but is maybe not into the, I'm a superstar because of it. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. So they do the big reveal, right? Sure. Because the, the British media is like, and some reason, like, the British media is really into Ewan McGregor being Bond, which is weird because he was never auditioned for the role. It's a kind of weird thing. Um, I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah. Ewan McGregor would make a great Bond villain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's going to be a, a Batman villain, so we got to get that. Fair enough. Um, but basically, they do this big thing where they get the, like, the British Royal Guard to bring him in on a boat, and it's, like, this big production, and the next day... The British tabloid media eat him alive. They call him James Bland. Um, Why? I, they they're like, oh, like the, who's this guy? He's blonde. Yeah. Bond's not blonde. Why is he blonde? Well, we we are also getting into the early two thousand, so we're also getting into the uh, the beginnings of the truly terrible yeah. internet era yeah. of oh, yes. reacting to movies. Um, people make fun of him because he had to wear a life vest like on the boat, and he's like, oh, Bond wouldn't wear a life vest. There's a website like that. Is James Bland is really funny though. <laughs> um, there's a website that started called Daniel Craig is not James <laughs> So Craig is already in like the, the shit list, but he's like, at that point, he was just like, it's all the schoolyard insults. Like, I have big ears. What the fuck, guys? Like, come on. I'm going to do this. I do remember people making fun of the ears. Yeah. I remember that. So, and people really like got on the fact that he's blonde. Like, that was like a really big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. So they got their bond. They're looking for a director. Now, this is really weird, too. The directing thing about this movie is very strange because there's two separate directors that have claimed to have uh, been asked to do it. And then Eon's like, no, we never asked that person. Mm -hmm. The first one's Matthew Vaughn, which is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then so he, but that basically like he said he was invited to like talk about it. And Eon's like, no, never. We never did that. Now, the other one, the most, the more famous one. In there, in terms of that, is Quentin Tarantino, because Quentin Tarantino had claimed yeah. that he had met with the Fleming estate, uh, but then later said that basically he was going to do basically an out of canon Bond, and he would only want to do in black and white. And Did he say the same fucking thing about Star Trek? Yes. Well, except the Star Trek thing, it might be real. Yeah. I don't think this one actually happened. Um, it I mean, might, it might but have been a also fever. the way that the industry works too, it could be like somebody may have brought it up to him. Yeah. Like somebody may have like, maybe the agent well, said something. His claim is that he didn't speak to Eon. He spoke with the Fleming estate, which is actually technically a thing that could have happened. That's what I mean. It, it's probably things that like yeah. that the, that Eon could technically say like, no, we never really considered that. Yeah. But, but yeah, so there's, a, it, there's always talks going well, on, which is, I always find it funny because like, I could have imagined like if. Like, the rights had never been traded, and, and Casino Royale was still kind of in this other realm. Yeah. I could have seen, like, Tarantino kind of going for it. Like, sure. Doing, like, if it had been not with Eon. But the point I'm trying to make is, like, it could be that an agent or somebody's yeah. like, hey, they're looking for a Bond director. Yeah. Would you be interested in that? And then Matthew Vaughn could be like, not really. Yeah. But it's, but to him, it's like, oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. But Eon's like, we never talked. Yeah. Hollywood people. Yeah. It's... So really, very uninteresting sometimes. In in reality, Barbara and and Michael had one thing in mind, and they were like, "Well, 
we liked working with Martin Campbell. He did a great job at kind of revamping our franchise once with GoldenEye. Mm-hmm. Why don't we try him again? And Campbell was initially shocked by... I thought you were going to say he was shot. <laughs> I was like, what? He was initially shocked by the fact that he was asked again because he was like, I already turned down Tomorrow Never Dies. Right. And, you know, it's been, now it's been like years, you know, it's been almost a decade right. since he did GoldenEye. And he was initially going to say no. And then his agent gave him the script and he was like, well, okay, they're doing something different again. I'm not, I'm down for this. And then plus he's like, well, really, I haven't really been doing anything recently. I haven't really gotten a lot of films. So why not? Why not do one? I mean, you know, he would go on to do Green Lantern in a couple of years. So I think this kind of revitalized his career in some ways. <laughs> But eventually, yes, Martin Campbell signs on. And once again, Martin Campbell's only thing about coming back is that Judy Dench has to continue to be him. Mm-hmm. That, that's his thing. Um, and he even said, like, I know, like, the Bond fans are going to, like, say, like, messed up the timeline. And, you know, it's a young Bond, but it's still Judy Dench. But it's like, listen, like, she's done. I can't imagine anybody else's M. She's right. done an amazing thing with that role. She, he watched all the other Bond movies, and she's just like, she's really evolved that character, and I want to keep evolving that character with her. So he was like, if I'm coming back, Judy Dench is back as M. And Barbara and Michael were like, yeah, sure. Uh, so what's interesting, like, there's not a lot of casting stories. There's not a lot. I mean, there's stuff I want to mention about the production. But well, you know, it's interesting because the more modern you get, the less you're going to get stories like this, I yeah. find. Well, like, it's like, because it's like, it's not, the casting process just isn't as interesting other than... Well, you say that. So yeah. I mean, I, I'm saying like on average, on average because there like, is one that's very interesting. Oh no, sure, I'm sure there's one. Like, I'm, or I'm sure there's, there's a couple of them. Yeah. But it's so, like, but also like we've also not sat with these movies. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. in terms of longevity, so, so there's the main, not as many stories. The main that other come casting out. that we have to get to is Eva the, Green. Yeah, that's the big one. As Vesperlin. Yeah. So in the book continuity, and it, it really carries over this movie. Vesperlin is probably the most important woman in James Bond's life because it's his first true love and the first tragic love of his life, and it really defines that Bond book character in a way that the Bond film character has really been defined. Really, it's like Tracy is 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 that version, but also in the book Bond, Tracy is kind of him finally recovering from Vesper and then also she dies. Yeah. So it's all it's all for naught really. So Barbara and Campbell agree that Eva Green is their girl. Like yeah. they just want her from day one. Now what was she doing that like put her on the radar um, at that point? I'd have to look Because at- this to me, this if I'm correct, this was like the big like now everybody knows Eva Green. Yeah, I think she, she was kind of I feel like she was very similar to Craig in a lot of ways yeah. where it's like she was kind of in things and she was kind of impressive in some stuff, but not particularly like something that people would really know her by. Sure, sure, sure. Like um, she was doing kind of a lot of, you know, she was in Kingdom of Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, she was kind of doing a lot of smaller stuff, but but basically, I think it was just something that Campbell and and this was her coming out party. This is really her massive big coming out audiences, party. Yeah. But the problem was, is that Eva Green had had another film commitment at that time. Yeah. So they did ask around Hollywood, you know, the, some of the some of the names coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, the three. Oh, most... you you did hint this to me off off mic, I think. Oh, did I? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. So um, the three main ones around Hollywood once Eva Green was initially unavailable. Yeah. Was uh, Angelina Jolie. Uh huh. Charlie's Theron. Okay. And ScarJo. Yeah, that that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. 
So ScarJo was because it was the early two thousands. Early two thousands. <laughs> but really, they do these. They, they talk to agents. They do these tests. But really, they have their sights set on Eva Green. Yeah. To the point, ScarJo would have been so much. She would have been too young. Yeah. That's what this was considered. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just interesting because I'm just thinking of like the alternate timeline. The alternate timeline. Because like ScarJo is not old. Yeah. But Ava, Ava Green. Hmm. Just continue. Okay. <laughs> so they get to the point with Ava Green where they're so want her so badly that they start the production. They start shooting without casting Vesper because they're still trying to get Ava Green. Okay. And essentially, they eventually get her because she she eventually did she dropped out of the other commitment she had because of just other conflicts and other things with the script, and they basically like according to the casting director, she was basically on a marathon call yeah. with the her agent, basically like we want you. This is going to paint some of my opinions of the movie, but they really my wanted my analysis her. of the movie actually. So okay, so all right, they all right. they. Uh, but they get her, they and get her. so she she joins the production a little bit later down the line. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so obviously, I said we have due to Dentism, and again, that's all Martin Campbell. Yeah, it's all it's all him wanting her back, and it's mm-hmm. like he's like he says like I, people are gonna make fun of me for the timeline. And people are like oh, but it's like the new Bond, but the old Bond. But it's like I, I just want her. It's like that that's that's all he cares yeah. about. He just wants to work with an actress that she he he just likes her. And and I guess some few other casting uh things that we may not have a story of is our bond villain yeah so bond villain is is mads mickelson so this is again just you know kind of early mads mickelson like coming out kind of thing before he does hannibal and And this was like uh another movie where it's or another uh thing where now everybody knows mads mickelson because this is where i yeah i mean it's like he's he's not like a very known person at this time to be quite honest and uh he he really like he really dug the fact that it was very much close to the book. Yeah, you know, and and, and like again, like the Le Chef, he, uh, they gave him a little bit more. Le Chef, Le Chef, little Chef, Le Chief, Le Chief, Le Chef. I was thinking of Kingdom Hearts three. I, I, I had it on the mind, <laughs> Little Chef. Um, the the Blood Eye is from the book. Yeah, but the Inhaler is a Purvis and Wade invention. Okay. Uh, and and Craig really liked working with Mickelson because what he liked about Mickelson is that, you know, like the villain, you know, Lashif as a villain isn't really someone who's like physically imposing in some ways. But what he liked about Mad Mickelson is like you felt he was the guy where it's like if push comes to sub, he would try to like you know he would go in to kill you. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. like, but it's like he doesn't present that aura, which yeah. is really nice. I mean, everything I've heard about uh, Mickelson is that he's like a chill, fun dude yeah. too. Like even mm-hmm. like him going on to Doctor Strange was mostly just because he's like I've always wanted to do kung yeah. fu in a movie. Yeah, uh, and then we have uh, was it Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey as, Wright uh, as Felix, as Felix Leiter. So Felix is returning for the first time since you know the Living. Uh, sorry, not the Living Day. It's uh, License to Kill. Isn't it also funny that like he's like hardly in this movie and it's already just like oh this is kind of my favorite Felix Leiter. He it's but again it's <laughs> I also, guess we'll talk about that within the movie. Within but, the movie, yeah. yeah. But it's like it's a solid thing and and again it really also it kind of defines their relationship in a way that really hasn't been defined since even Doctor No really I think is kind of is 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 the way that that kind of works. I think you know it 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 works out really well. Yeah. All right, so just to quickly get through production stuff. I yeah. mean, there's not like a whole ton. There's just some really interesting little bits and details about it. Um so most of the movie is shot uh between Prague. Um the Prague there's film studios in Prague that they use because it's a little bit cheaper for them especially with their new ownership of Sony. Sony's looking to save a little bit of money on this movie. 
Um, so they do Prague, a little bit of Pinewood, um, and a lot of filming in the Bahamas. And the Bahamas basically are where the exteriors for Casino Royale are, as well as the um, sequences in Africa, as well as the, Bahama, the actual Bahaman sequences. So a lot of the Bahamas is a favorite part of um, you know the Bond team. They've been there many times, and so they kind of use it to their full extent. Mm-hmm. That includes... Um, there's basically a old hotel that basically got abandoned and run down um, that they used to stay at around the time of Spy Who Loved Me. And Peter Lamont, who's still doing these movies, he's been the production designer since like the, the Moore era, so he's been doing these movies for a very long time now. Um, he said this would be a perfect place for our construction site you know, fight scene. Uh, but the problem is now the land with the abandoned hotel and abandoned area is now owned by the like basically Bahamian military. Mm. So it's a Bahamian, it's a naval base for Bahamian military. But they do make a deal with the military to basically like, we can we can film on this stuff. But they do gotta make it still like a construction site and they need cranes. Yeah. Now they'd run into a problem because most of the cranes that would be available for rent are at the time of filming being used to help um, victims Spider of Man movies. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot more serious than yeah, that. It's yeah, being yeah. used to help in her, like the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the ones for the United States and Canada, that are, which are really close to the Bahamas, are just unavailable at that time because mm-hmm. they're helping like real people. So they eventually like have to ship a crane overseas from the UK and get steel from China to kind of make it all work. They accidentally hit the pipes that are underneath as they're digging up. But the craziest part about this sequence, so to me, this was the craziest part. So in the movie, there's a chase sequence where Bond like it involves this construction site, but it's a longer foot chase sequence where Bond is chasing this guy who's like making bombs, and that's like the big thing, and it's a big part of the movie. The guy who is being chased, the guy, the bomb maker, is played by the guy who invented parkour, Sebastian Focan. Okay. I'm glad we brought this up. This is amazing. Yeah, so it's like, like, because literally, like on the documentary, well, it's not even called invented parkour. He's called he's called the parkour founder. <laughs> so it's like uh, this guy played by parkour founder Sebastian Fakan. I was like, what? <laughs> like they got the guy who like came up with parkour. Like that's crazy. Uh, so ba- and basically the guy does his own stunts and he like he's very like a meditative dude. It's like, listen, it doesn't matter if it's a car, doesn't matter if it's a wall, doesn't matter if it's a high building. I just do what I do. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like I'm, I'm, it's basically like I'm one with my. He's like, like literally, like not the exact quote. He's like basically like I'm one with myself and I can achieve any goal that I want. <laughs> This is totally the guy who would invent parkour, yeah, by the it way. It is. It's literally like, how can I get wherever I need to go in whatever way I want? Parkour. It's like, it's like we're all human. We're all made to overcome obstacles. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. These are like not exact quotes, but these are paraphrases of like quotes this guy has. It's amazing. That's pretty incredible. Uh, so they do the sequence and like. Craig is very impressed with everything, even though Craig, over the course of the movie, it's it's in the book that I have, it's in the documentary. He just keeps mentioning how how beat up he gets over the movie. Like he's just like, yeah, I had I was so tired, yeah, and so like 
broken by the end of the movie. And he's like, I, if you like look close, he's like, he even said like, if you look closely in that opening black and white scene where I, you know, the, I shoot the guy, yeah, like, yeah. there's band-aids over all my fingers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so last things are, again, it's a very, otherwise, you know, very decent production. Um, so they do like, uh, the, they have to shoot the poker scenes, mm-hmm. which in the book it's Baccarat, which mm-hmm. is what the classic Bond thing is. But because it's the t- early 2000s, they change it to Texas Hold'em because <laughs> the World Series of Poker is like the biggest thing on the planet. Not right. really, but like kind of. Uh, and Campbell was very concerned about the poker scenes making him feel dynamic because, again, that's all stuff that's directly out of the book. There's yeah. not really – like some little bits of added drama here and there, but not, it's like basically like – again, it's right out of the book. It's just poker drama. Yeah. So it's like how do you shoot that? So we had like a lot of cameras going, that sort of thing. Um, I'll talk. We'll talk about the some of the stuff with the Venetian ending at, when we get to the movie. But the yeah. last thing I want to mention – The Venetians? They're back? Ghidorah? The last thing I want to mention is that Bond for, for the second take for, down Ghidorah. For the second time in, in Bond history, the 007 stage at Pinewood burns down. Mm. Uh, and not because of Ridley Scott's legend this time. It's actually the fault of the Bond team uh-huh. uh, in that when they're taking out the, the Venetian sets um, for uh, the end of production, they accidentally set the whole... Oh, because it's Venice. Yeah. Is that what they call like Venice things? I think so. Really? That's, yeah. Interesting. All right, continue. Because Venice is, is is comes from. The I'm not. This isn't a bit. Like I this just well, dawned Venice on me. Venice is the same root as Venus. Right. They're both named after the goddess. Interesting. Continue. So, anyways, so basically, like, yeah, they accidentally turned down the 007 stage of Pinewood again, and they're like, "Oops!" And then Eon just pays for it. But it's just not like it's. It happened a first time for View to a Kill, and it happened again. Yeah. And so the 007 stage was once again rebuilt. But then, at the end of the day, here we are at Modern Bond. Mm-hmm. A Modern Bond and, movie was made. And then this movie comes out, and everybody's like, well, you know, we're going to show them. Those people that made Daniel Craig is not JamesBond.com, they're going to show you exactly what James Bond is made of. Well, who cares what they think? The only person you should care, the only two people you should care, are the two people who host the Bondzilla podcast. Yes. And uh, I think, uh, why, don't we, why don't we let the, we'll give the audience what they want. Let's talk about Casino Royale. She left her cell phone. She must have known I'd check it. She knew you were you. Well, at least this clears Mathis. No. No? No. We just proved that she's guilty, not that he's innocent. Could have been a double blind. Keep sweating it. You don't trust anyone, do you, James? No. Then you've learnt your lesson. Get back as soon as you can. We need you. Will do. If you do need time. Why should I need more time? Job's done. The bitch is dead. And we're back. Yes. So to talk about the good Casino Royale. I am. Some people perceive to be the good Casino Royale. I am very interested to talk about this one. I am very interested. Fascinated, actually. I I am. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Yeah. Especially. So I love. I think. You know what? Can can we do this? Because I'm going to do this. Because we've both seen these, this movie, yes. and we're both more familiar with it, I think, more recently than any. Probably you're familiar with all of them, but I... Yeah. I I'm probably... I, there's a I mean, bit it's really more, this, this and Skyfall are yeah. the Craigs I'm most familiar with. Um, let's do it this way. Uh, on the spot. On the spot podcasting. Yeah. Tell me, what was it like going into the movie? And then what your thoughts, what your general thoughts are now that it's over. 
my thoughts going into the movie was that I was very interested to see what I would think. Because yeah. um, we have a, a friend well, of the... But, but also that, but like, what was your take on the movie just in general before going in? Um, I remember it being... I mean, like, I, I, I remember it being very good. When was the last time you saw it? Um, a little bit before the podcast. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. yeah. I've seen the most recent Craig I've seen was Skyfall because I rewatched that. Yeah, but it wasn't like like for a while I hadn't seen Casino Royale for like yeah. a couple of years. Yeah, so it's right before we started. First, probably about two like okay. two years because okay. I've been I've been really saving you know the ones I haven't seen in a while. Sure. I, I kind of want the the nice reactions on the podcast. Sure, sure, sure. So I remember it. You know, I remember it kind of being. I liked it. You know, I liked it. Um, I remember that. How do I put it? I remember that there is that kind of general like I had the general like oh but it's like the gritty reboot I, I kind of had that kind of thing with it where it's yeah. like yeah it's like I liked it a lot but it, it's it is a gritty reboot and I kind of like you know I like my spy who loved me I like my license to kill like I that like kinda- aspect of it is going to explain why we're friends because there is I don't want to get to mind but there is a level of I think that is more of a point of contention for you and me mm-hmm. the whole gritty reboot thing yeah. Now, uh, so we'll we'll talk about it. So there was that, but I remember like I think this. I remember being like you know one of Craig's stronger performances as Bond. Yeah, I uh, enjoyed kind of just the lower key nature of it. You know, just it's just something different. Yeah, and it's nice. So that was going into it. Having watched it, it was very interesting because I do feel having watched it alongside all these movies. That those silly Bond elements are still there, kind of just kind yes. of crackling out of the surface. Like it's <clears> like yeah. that even with kind of it all stripped away, like there's still that kind of classic Bond that's kind of just hidden in this movie, and that makes the movie a lot more interesting of a watch. Here's yeah. what I'll say about Casino Royale, just in general terms. It's a movie that I liked certain aspects of it more now that I've seen it and certain aspects of it less now that I've re-seen it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So some of the elements of the movie are like much stronger in my mind having watched it alongside all these movies. And there are things that like I remember being better and I'm like, oh, that's not as great as I watched it. But I still think I, I still enjoyed it. I still thought this was a solid Bond movie. But I have a problem. I just, there's that part of me that just, when I look at it like in comparison to the rest of them, I just, I like those kind of the classic bonds in terms of how their tones and their, yeah. their silliness. Uh, I remember enjoying the movie and that it was a decent bond movie. I do remember feeling because I went into Casino Royale. I had seen like a lot of the Brosnan movies at the time, but like we kind of said on the podcast before you know Bond, like you know all the tropes, you know the general idea, even if you haven't seen the movies, you know that there's gadgets, you know shake and not stir, you just know all yeah. the things. And the so <clears throat> it was very evident that when I saw it at first that it was clear that it was doing a this isn't your daddy's James Bond, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of an origin story too. Um, but I remember always thinking like, but it's a good movie, It's a, it is a good movie. Going rewatching it now, the closest thing I can say to it, it's a solid movie. It's a solid movie that I don't entirely love mm-hmm. because, like, and I've never understood like the criticism of, oh, it's a movie that's great when you watch it. And I don't want to 100% go on that because I still don't believe in that like yeah. type of thinking. <clears throat> but there are aspects of like, we watched it and I enjoyed like a good amount of it. 
I, I, but no, I enjoyed like the movie. Like I walked out of it like, oh yeah, fun movie, good movie, yeah, a yeah. uh, good reintroduction to James Bond. But like when I think about it more, there are definitive aspects uh, that just don't that are just a little off yeah. for me. I would say, and, but I will oh. say there were aspects of it that I thought that I wouldn't like just because I remember for some reason not liking them that I did like uh, more, uh, like certain casting and characters. Um, there are aspects of it that I was going into it thinking like, well, we're going into the Craig era, so they're going to strip all this away. And so it's going to be kind of a bummer because we've watched all these movies and they're just stripping it back too much. But then watching it, I'm very much like you where I'm like, oh, wait, they actually did maintain some of these key elements of Bond that kind of raised it high to, higher to me because I, I would put this on the higher level of Bonds, yeah. but there there's aspects about it that I, I was very fascinated to see it unfold yeah. in, in front of me uh, for the first time in a while. Um, yeah, and I would say it's re- it's interesting because it's a movie that I think it's it's really weird because I think in some ways it's a movie that like if I had rank- if I had done a ranking before the podcast, like if I just like just off the top of my head what I thought, I feel like it would have been higher before the podcast than now for me. But at the same time, I also kind of like the movie a little bit more. It's just that I think I just appreciate so much more of those other Bond movies that, like, there's just some stuff in this movie that just kind of drags it down a little bit. Well, it's impactful. Like, it's definitely a – it's a good movie in which it makes its mark. I definitely think it is a memorable James Bond movie, I I think. Yeah, and I I think – I mean, I kind of think that one of its strengths is is Campbell's directing. And I think that's – Yeah, it's a very well-directed movie. And that's one of the things that does make it very impactful is that Campbell directs it – he directs it differently than he directs – Goldeneye, yeah. like he, he's a Gold, Goldeneye and Cosina Royale are two distinct movies, and it's his, it's Campbell's strength as a director. And I think his strength and his is his understanding of kind of how he wants to portray the character that makes well, it strong. Let me talk about the strengths of this movie first, because I, I we usually start with story, but story is kind of where some of my problems will come into. Um, I do think the directing is, is very on par, is, mm-hmm. is very good here. And it, and it's very, it's really impressive considering that he also did Goldeneye. Yeah. Which aesthetically and just totally is very different. Mm-hmm. And the fact yeah. that Goldeneye works and this movie works is, there's nothing to scoff at. Like, no, that, yeah. it's a very impressive feat, I, I mean, I think. it really, really makes the case for Campbell to be like, of the Bond directors that have done more than one movie, like yeah. he's he's up there at the top, because like if you look at all, the, I mean, like the other ones you could say maybe because like Hamilton has one great movie, uh, Terrence Young has those first two, um, you know, uh, Lewis Gilbert has Spy Who Loved Me, yeah, and um, John Glenn I think he has like two, he has like three movies. Of the five he did, he has three that I really like, but I also wouldn't say that the directing is the strongest points of, like, you know, maybe his strongest directorial movie is either um, probably, like, just free your eyes only just yeah. because it's so silly. But, like, I mean, I, I like Living Daylights and I like License to Kill, but I wouldn't say the direct strength of those movies is directing. But Campbell really brings – he really brings, like, the tone that they're looking for. Yeah. And he, 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 he puts it in your face – Especially like when you just go like to like the opening scene, just how distinct it is, and it's like it just it does open the movie on kind of a bang, yeah. And just like kind of get grabs your attention, and it's because the the black and white part was the the DP's 
uh, idea because he's like, well, let's, let's just do something different. And Campbell was all in on it. And, and <laughs> it just like, it's so weird to kind of see that, but it's also Campbell immediately brings you into kind of what the world is sure. of this movie. Sure. And it, it just doesn't stop from there. And I do think Campbell does a fantastic job with the direction of this movie. Well, the second, the second aspect, cause it's three major aspects. I think that really work. The second aspect is like the action and like all the set pieces, the fight scenes, everything. It, it's just, it, yeah. it's, it's very, it's very, it's very good. It's very interesting too, because there's a, there's a more than a couple foot chases in this movie. And Bond, it's not to say that Bond hasn't chased people, but this is this is a, like a different level. You know, this is like if you were to just take these scenes to some extent, they're like kind of almost Mission Impossible type scenes, where it's just like sure. like Cruz is just running or like they're born type scenes. But like it really, no, you're you're a hundred percent correct. Like the bomb chase scene is great. The airport chase scene is a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, especially because it's one of those things where both of those. Ch- scenes what's really cool about them and i especially say this about the airport scene the miami airport scene is that they're fun chase sequences that really retain their stakes at least within the context of that chase oh anytime there is any scene of action or conflict where there's stakes involved whether it's from the foot chases or Bond is poisoned. That all those, great too. But all those scenes are great. Like anytime it's like the only time I do think I I do think it may be a movie where the third act may be a little bit much. Uh I wanna I will talk about that when I get there. Cause there's yeah. there's some there's some production stuff with that that I, I would talk about. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. but I will say like like that Miami the Miami airport chase is a great example where it's like there's some really fun little moments in that chase. But then you're also remembering, like, there is the sense of, like, is that bad guy going to blow up the plane? Yeah. And, like, there is a real sense of, like, kind of the gripping nature of that that you really is kind of unique to this movie. Yeah. So, again, I, I would 100% agree. I think I think the action, again, well-directed, well-acted, uh, and just well-written in terms of the pace of those scenes. Sure. Like, how, how those scenes escalate. Um, you know, it kind of it kind of reminds me of some, like, how I love the escalation of something like Spy Love Me, but just on a smaller scale because it is a smaller scale movie. Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, and the third aspect I would say, and this was the most uh, pleasantly surprising aspect of the movie, it's a James Bond movie. It and, is. And it, it is, all those all those chase scenes that we're talking about yeah. are absurd. Like that oh. foot chase is insane. Oh, the 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 parkour foot chase. Yeah, it, it is crazy. But there's aspects like that. Like we don't get like like a car humorously driving through like a bicycle. Like there's nothing like that. Right. But what's happening on screen is absurd. We laugh. Like yeah, yeah. We it, laugh. It, it's funny. Like and it's like all the action beats. Uh, there's still a humor about it. Mm-hmm. They. I think that this is a criticism we'll have going forward. Uh, and even though I love that movie, this is something Skyfall does that kind of annoys me. And then Spectre kind of like tiptoes in a weird way around it. <clears throat> they do strip back a lot from this movie, but at no point did I ever feel like it was being disparaging of that that used to be. No. Like, because there, to my knowledge, there isn't a, there isn't a, what did you expect yellow spandex like type line like no. there's nothing like being cute about like yeah we're not gonna like well we're not gonna be this and I, there's other aspects of that that i would criticize more but it did retain like be like there were cute moments don't yeah. get me wrong there's the moment where he's like how would you like your martini does it look like i give a damn which is like that's funny like i mean that that's cute yeah. but like 
it stills like yeah, but we're still gonna have like the elaborate chase. We're still gonna have I, like I, the the cute little yeah. quips. And I I had to be honest, I was down. Like they found a new way to do the quips. Yeah, like like Craig was like. Pretty witty, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Like I thought he they had nailed some, that. He definitely some great ones, and I do think that comes from it being like them being so focused on like making it the book, and because like again, it's just like you you get yourself into the universe of like the the Fleming verse of Bond, and obviously, I think there still takes some. There's obviously things that they take from the you know the, the wider film history of Bond that they kind of take inspiration from for sure, but I do think that there is a sense of like this film kind of commits itself to being cuz it cuz it also helps in a sense of just how this movie presents itself just in terms of its lower key nature yeah. it really does go back to like what we saw in Dr. No and from Russia with Love especially where it was like before the gadgets were the big deal like it like really any sort of gadgets were kind of more realistic and smaller scale stuff right, right. there's really nothing in Dr. No and then the most is like the briefcase in from Russia with Love which is again smaller scale yeah but and I think, like I think this it, movie has like oh we're gonna put a microchip in yeah, like it, so it's like it's, it's, it's not has, yeah listen listen there is no yeah there's no quip about the exploding pen, which well, I, I have to get to that in Skyfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot. But no, I can't but we might as well mention it here. Like there is the the Bond franchise does have their yellow spandex line. By yeah. the you, you, we eventually will get three movies in, and they're making jokes about like we're not going to do gadgets. Yeah. But I just didn't feel like it was being kind of sly no. about it. Yeah. There was cute little winks and nods, but like well, there was I think never it's like. Also, it it does double down on it being early Bond. Like it does double down. It doesn't like like this may be a segue yeah. into my issues, but. <laughs> Like, it's supposed to double down on that, yeah. and I think that it's just like, well, if it's just like this little mission that he's, you know, kind of, not going rogue, but it's just like, again, it's just a poker mission. He doesn't yeah. need the gadget. He's like, you don't feel like those are missing, whereas I do feel sometimes, especially once you get to Skyfall and Spectre, yeah. that you do kind of feel like with the with how those movies present themselves and the action in those movies, that you do kind of miss, yeah. you know, that stuff. Whereas, like, this one, you don't really miss it. You don't really miss that that that's not there. Uh... Can I talk about? Can I can I bounce off of that? Yeah. In a in a, in a, in a opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> so the story of this movie is that Bond just becomes 007, yeah. gets his license to kill. Like literally at the beginning of the movie, yeah. he he gets his basically his first kills, and yeah. that confirms him as a double O agent. And essentially, it is a movie where they are after uh, Lashif, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who mm-hmm. is essentially a. Uh, basically manages the money of terrorists all over the world. Yes. Maybe other people too. Who yeah. knows? They don't want to lump them all into, into the same pot. But like that's what he is. He's like the money keeper for all these like terrible people. Yeah. Um so he has some skin in the game too for like and then like as the as that goes on uh, Lashif does things like make investments that he's controlling through other terrorist means. So like he knows like the state of the art uh, like airplane is yeah, going pr- to blow up. The new prototype airline is going to blow up. And yeah, so and he's... he knows that, so he's going to bet against the airplane, like yeah. or the stock of the airplane. <laughs> That's how he's going to get his money. And then Bond does that, so eventually they have to go. They have to go Casino Royale and uh, mm-hmm. you know make the money, and, and that that's how it happens. Right, basically, because basically, like they kind of quickly go through it. So Bond foils that plan. Yeah, uh, and basically, Le Chef, Le Chief. I'm bad at it. I can't say it. Le Chief. Le Chief. Um, 
loses all his money, and then he's like, okay, shit, I gotta, I gotta make the money some back. So he sets up this high stakes poker game, basically, yeah. where he's gonna like ring it for himself. Yeah, essentially. and then like, cause like his stakes are because he's got like these ba- terrible uh, terrorist people, yeah. who he manages money for that will kill him if if yeah. they, he doesn't get the money back. Here is my biggest issue with this movie mm-hmm. is that the the movie kind of does this all right it's a bond origin story like this is like we're going to do like these are the or this is how bond becomes bond but it also wants to be this isn't your granddaddy's bond mm-hmm. and that is a very weird thing that doesn't compromise the movie but also doesn't make it completely land with me hmm. and i feel like it's a it's a it and there's a lot of aspects in this movie where it just did not feel like it was as completely fleshed out as it needed to be for certain elements to yeah, eventually work. Or as work. it thinks it is. Eve, Ava Green, who I will say I thought I was not going to love in this movie because I just don't remember being all that impressed with her. Yeah. She is really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think she is very good. I think that um, I think she brings a presence that rivals whoever you would have made as Bond. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, it made 100% why they would want her. She is a she. She is a talent. She has a she has a presence that is undeniable. But even with so a couple things with that character, that character comes way too late in the movie mm-hmm. to do what they ultimately do with her mm-hmm. to, for her to be this catalyst for Bond having this kind of late in the movie arc of I trusted somebody and then they betrayed me mm-hmm. and then now I don't trust anybody and I'm like you can't shove that into like the last half of your movie. Uh, at least for me, because then that's why that's why I always from when I first saw it to this part, that whole plot line like works in terms of, oh, you're watching an entertaining movie. But if you're doing this whole character thing with Bond yeah. does not work for. me. Yeah, this is this is where it gets interesting just from my knowledge of how the book is adapted, because what's very interesting about where she shows up, which is like 40 minutes into the movie. Right. Is that is where the book begins. So everything before that is basically them justifying why Bond has to go to this poker game. Yeah, that's a problem for me. Yeah. Because I feel like I don't buy that these guys just fell in love with each other. Like, it kind of makes sense that, like, Vesper, like, kind of, like, is more pushes it. Yeah. Given, like, that she is ultimately, like, duping him. Yeah. But, like, I don't get because – and I got – I have to say, I like Craig, but I got some – if I'm going to – do a deeper analysis on him. I got some very mixed feelings about him mm-hmm. because I feel like the problem with Craig is that Craig is, and I think this is how he's directed. He's playing it too shit eating grin smarmy a lot of the time mm-hmm. that I just can't take him seriously as a decent guy. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, I don't but like, but there are amazing scenes with him. Like when he is, and I get, this is the point of the movie where he is putting down his like shield, like with dinner with Vesper. Like, mm-hmm. and then you're like, Oh, like these two are very charming and clever with each other. Yeah. I actually agree with you in general on this. My thing about the Vesper and bond plot line is that it is a plot line with very, very good individual moments. Yes. Like, very, very strong moments between the two. But it's a thing that, that when you kind of consider it over the whole aspect of their relationship, there's just, it needed more to kind of get to that end point. Right. Um, but, like, but there, there are some amazing scenes between her and Oh, the Bob. first scene they meet with each other. 
I don't know if I could have done without the these two guys do the Sherlock they like can deduce mm. like I don't know like there were just aspects of the character where it's like you want to give her that but she you're also going to give her the like she can't handle that she saw somebody get killed like well she helped out that was like the main well part. she helped out but it's like I, I I don't know like it's like you kind of like oh like they're like she's like you're introducing her as like this equal like and though like I, I don't know it was just it was a little bit too inconsistent yeah, I, I, I can for me. get that but I also do really like the moment in the shower I do like that yeah moment. I'm not not into it by the way you know how I joked about that scene was done in one take because their clothes got wet yeah that scene was actually done in one take <laughs> but kudos to them but um, it's like I don't get yeah I don't know I, I just I wasn't I wasn't as into that uh, like yeah. especially well, like watching I mean, it this like, time yeah because it's like, but then I think like if she was in the movie like way more than this, by that point in the movie, I probably would have been into it. Mm-hmm. But because she shows up so late, yeah, there is a lot. Like this was at the time, and it to to this day, it was the longest Bond movie ever when it came out. Yeah, and it's now the second longest because Spectre is four minutes longer. <laughs> um, and I do feel that like as much as I like a lot of the beginning of that movie, there is like you could condense it. There is things about it that you could just kind of simplify a little bit, you know, just kind of all the stuff about going around to all the roundabout he has to do to get eventually to, sure, to Mads. Sure. Like you could have, I think you could have made a more direct line between like him getting to the Bahamas and him going through that airport bomb chase. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's a movie that just kind of gets away with just it being an act, like a kind of an action movie that's light on story yeah. for like a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I won't like completely throw it under the bus because there are aspects of it that kind of like play off of that. Like some of this is about ego for Bond. <clears throat> the problem with this movie for me is like they keep on there's these key elements that keep on going back to like this is Bond's for. No, you know what? Actually, I'll take this back. I don't understand why this needs to be a Bond origin story movie. I think that's like baggage on this movie that doesn't need to be there. Um, only because like it seems like when every time it came up for me, it felt out of place because nothing else about this Bond felt like it. This was a new Bond. Mm-hmm. Like even like the moment where like they do like oh he killed somebody for the first time is kind of glossed over, and it's kind of the whole like this wants to be like origin bond but also not your daddy's bond is all in within like the opening mm-hmm. where they do like this very visceral like he killed somebody and that guy's dead like he he killed that guy and then like two shots later that guy gets up so they can do the barrel scene yeah so it's like well well wait a minute no you can't i thought he killed that guy i thought the whole point was like he drowned this guy with his bare hands and it was a visceral experience but then he just sh- turned around and shot him yeah like i and that was another thing about this movie that I don't know how I feel about. Every time it wanted to be real, it it took like really like weird like this is how we're going to show you that this is real. Like like so it's like 
all right, he's got to kill this guy. So he's like, I'm going to drown him with my bare hands. And then it's like, ha let's, it's fun. Foot chases. Come on. Let's, let's do bond stuff. And then it's like, oh yeah, that, that woman you slept with. Yeah. She, she was uh, tortured and murdered. And now she's uh, wrapped into a hammock. Like, it's like, whoa, where did, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, okay, yeah. Now it's like cool, like suave card playing. And it's like, all right, now we're going to torture you by hitting you in the balls with a knot. Like, and it's just like, just these really like weird, bizarre. And then it's like, all right, elaborate Venice chase where a building sinks now you're gonna watch a woman drown in front of your own here's eyes here's what it is when you, when you mention it like that yeah. when you mention it like that here's what it really is it's them legitimately literally word for word adapting the bond book sure with purvis and wade coming up with action sequences that would fit in just a normal bond movie okay so that's really, fair that's really what it is yeah it's like because all the stuff that you mentioned that is like silly is stuff that purvis and wade added and all the stuff that you said was real is stuff from the book like that's yeah really how it is. it's weird like, like listen bond getting hit in the balls with a knot is in casino royale oh, is that so yeah wow well basically i think yeah he's basically essentially that's what happens also in the book though he gets they they cut his back open and then have a lot of rats come over him so it's Ugh. also really weird um but but basically that's what that's what this movie is my favorite it, part about that scene was that they go into that dungeon which they clearly have been to mm -hmm. and there was just a chair there that you could cut the bottom off of but if it's like that's what he's doing to people like when did you, like, yeah. <laughs> like i love how it was just a yeah. fresh chair um but basically that's that kind of is a good description of this movie is that i just feel like I love it's like I love how those kind of like classic weird silly Bond elements kind of pop themselves in because yeah. that's what really makes the movie like oh this is a Bond movie and like you can kind of say this isn't like this does kind of hold hold the legacy of you know we're more than twenty films in at this point right that sort of well, thing but like it's also the movie's kind of downfall in some parts you're you're exactly right I mean the movie. <laughs> The movie really isn't doing anything with Bond as a character. Like, I don't think. And like until like the end in which it makes a definitive like this is what's going on now. Mm -hmm. I don't get a sense that Bond is going through this journey that ultimately leads him and this was always my problem with the movie. That I don't feel like the movie sets up a journey that he would leave MI6 at the end of the movie, which right. is what he was going to, going do. to do. He was going to go with Vesper. Until like he until uh, she betrayed him, that has always been my problem with this movie. Is that I just don't feel like that is like the journey that they were setting up. So yeah. when he makes that decision that he's going to run away with this woman, I don't feel like they. I I just never felt like it, it put yeah, any of the that, character. Yeah, that was the really. I would say that was really the thing when I said that there are certain elements with the movie I didn't like upon return, <laughs> returning to it. It really is that just like the. There are there are elements of the Vesper and Bond relationship that I do really like, but on the whole, it just doesn't hold up. Right. It doesn't do enough to justify the importance of Vesper in his life. I also don't think like the movie does an, an extraordinarily excellent job at just building this character and like who is Bond? Like who is Bond now that he's new Bond and mm -hmm. like now that he's part of this system? And they do it in that classic bond cool way where he's just kind of like whatever man i'm bond and he's like i'm just i just play by my own rules and they play and they keep on having people bring up it's like you keep making it about your ego um and there's a few scenes that do that very well i think like when he's just like i can beat him like just give me the money i can beat him like it's mm -hmm. like and so there you're showing some fallibility in it but 
I never feel like they do anything with Bond that like I really feel like like that they've just put in the character work like that we've spent some time with this guy because most of the time we spend with this guy is like giant action beats yeah and maybe I'm asking too much at this point and maybe I'm coming off of we binge so much of these yeah. movies and I and I want like kind of like them to open up this character a little bit more mm-hmm. and I, to me this this still wasn't enough yeah. for me I can feel you um I do want to Craig okay. does my my favorite Craig moment in this movie though is uh when he gets poisoned and uh Vesper like uh <clears throat> like uh, uses the defibrillator and he he finally comes to and he's like are you okay? <laughs> like yeah. that. Oh, and then one of the most amazing parts is when he sits at the table. He's like, "Sorry about that. That last hand almost killed me." <laughs> and I was like, "That is incredible." Yeah. But see, but then there were moments like that that I'm like, "I'm on board." Yeah. Like I was ultimately on board with the whole movie. Yeah. It was just if I had to when once I start sitting back and analyzing mm-hmm. it is when the issues. Came I do. Out. I do like Craig a lot in this movie. Like I think. I I'll be. I've always been interested going into this podcast, especially the further we got into it, what I would ultimately feel about Craig. Because I've always had a little bit of mixed feelings. Not because he's blonde. Not because he's bland. I don't think that stuff. I just think it's just the general direction of the movies and like how do I feel about that in comparison to the other Bonds. But I do think that Craig just presents like why he could be in this role, in this movie. And I do feel like there are elements of his intensity and his action um, intensity specifically yeah. that I do think that kind of really fits. <clears throat> well, he definitely fits the tone. That, that's what I will say about Craig. Like he, since they're making it very clear, like, oh, he's like an assassin and then everything like that. Mm-hmm. He feels like that character more so than any other Bond yes. has. So it's yeah. like he fits the world. That's why I think that's the biggest saving grace is like this movie does paint a very complete picture in this yeah. new Bond. Like if, if you're going to cast a Bond who's going to kill a, a man in an embassy, like this yeah. is Craig is the Bond you're going to cast. Uh, yeah, I agree. Like that whole sequence and how it ends like that is, is great. What this other movie, but just briefly, briefly, what this movie also establishes is I think that Craig and Judy Dench have amazing chemistry together. I think they play off each other so well, and it's something that definitely gets expanded upon in Skyfall. But like just some of the stuff that they do. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Even though like I do think, even though the context and what was being done was a little bit different, I, I did feel like I was kind of like they – the Campbell was kind of redoing his golden eye scene mm-hmm. a little bit. Like there was a little bit more history. They kind of play this like more maternal role, but it, like, it's like, I'll kill you if I have to like that, that type yeah. of like thing. But it did kind of feel like the whole, like, yeah, like that scene when like they meet in a uh, golden eye. Yeah. I don't know. It just kind of felt no, like, I, I can feel that, channeling but I, the but I also thing. like, I don't know. I just, it didn't, I can see that, especially Here's now that you've mentioned, thing. but I, I do, I do really like, just them in when he breaks in them's apartment. I do think that's a great scene. Yeah, I, I I get what they're doing in this movie. I get that they're doing like he has his shields up and he's trying to play it cool all the time. But like that M scene, like the M scenes with him, like would it kill them to maybe like write out like a more of a normal kind of like scene and a conversation between the two? Because I it, it feels like a lot of like M says this about Bond and Bond's yeah. like, yeah, right. And then he's like, yeah, we'll see. Like he's always just like grinning and brooding. And um, yeah, I have a hot take about Craig. Do you think Craig would be amazing in these movies if he was allowed to be sillier? Yes. Because I think Craig has that in him to be a, like a silly mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. 
And I feel like if he wasn't so beholden, I think he's good Listen. as Bond. I think he's fine. But I think if he wasn't beholden to being Bond as Bond should be or an approximate of Bond yeah. and he just made it his own, I would I would like to see that. Because there's even elements in all three of these movies uh, where he will have a humorous moment Listen. and it works. Listen. If we could get the Craig that points out the Komodo dragon, that's exactly Skyfall, what I'm talking about. Like that was in my every go-to. scene. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with that. I I think that Craig is really good at the things that he's presented at, um, especially in this movie and in Skyfall particularly. I think he's good in those action sequences. I think he's good in that intensity. But if you were to give him a little bit more of those Komodo dragon moments or a little bit more of those like kind of little 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 moments he has in this movie. Right, because it's like because otherwise it just feels to me like a guy who's always smirking and brooding, which mm-hmm. I feel like he does most of the time. And I do and I will 100% agree. I think that when he has those scenes with Vesper, uh he's allowed to shine a little mm-hmm. bit more yeah. as a character. Like you you're you're very right that dinner scene they have once it's all kind of over. Uh, is is very, very light yeah. uh, in some ways, and and yeah, allows him to open up. Yeah. Also, he's, wait. So he's also good in the torture scene too. Like he, he's good in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a lot of little bits of the movie though. Like we 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 Bond had a very smooth move with the other woman uh, earlier. In yeah, the that movie. was good. That that so, was really good. He picks her up in the car that he just won, uh, in the poker game, and he's like, "You want to come back? Yeah, to my place." And like, oh, is it close? And it's like, yeah, you could say that. And then basically, he like does a loop around and basically like ends up where they started. Right, because he he's staying at the hotel. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that was good. That, that was that, that, was, that, that was like Bond. That was very smooth. That was a very smooth move. Um, as someone who watched a lot of poker, uh, in my youth, uh, the poker scenes are very well done. Uh, here's from, what from, I have from to a say. poker perspective. I have seen in my twenty some odd years of watching movies so many poker scenes. I still have no idea how you play poker. I, so I, it's very easy to. So, but I know. But it's like it's just funny. I've seen this so much, and yet, like, I watch this movie, and I just kind of have to be like, I, I, I can't follow it at all. So like, when they do like, basically, how you know how I know what's going on? Music stings, and the audience going, ooh, <laughs> that's the only way I know what's going on in the poker game. Yeah. Um, what else? Can we I do? just don't know what's going on. I can teach you poker sometime. It's very simple. But that, that's the problem. I refuse to do that. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, what else can we talk about, Will? Um, uh, Mick, Mads Mikkelsen is good, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, for what he is, he's very solid. Um, um, blood tears and inhalers. Yeah, no, I actually liked him quite a bit. I, I think he uh, is, plays uh, understated very well. I think they do an interesting thing by being like, there's even worse guys. Um, which, again, which is also to be, yeah, it's something that's explicitly from the novel. Is yeah. like, and, that, and the that's goings on of like what is happening in the movie, like what is the Bond yeah. plot, what is the bad guy plot, is interesting. It's and it's very a good much lower of pace. key. It's yeah. really, it is essentially like the lowest key thing to happen since probably from Russia with Love, where it's just like, oh, we're just gonna get this thing and do this thing. Like, yeah. there's really like, obviously there are like world stakes, but there's not really, like, you don't really feel that. It's all really kind of like smaller stake stuff. Yeah. But that feels bigger in some senses. Like, again, like, you know, him getting the money is not important, but you know what is really funny though about this movie? When you really think about it, Bond a hundred percent failed at everything he was supposed to do because he was supposed to keep, he was supposed to keep Med Mickelson alive so that they could get information and he got killed. Yeah. He was supposed to 
get the $10 million, and it still ended up in the hands of uh, the bad guys at the end of the day because Vesper took it from him. And he basically couldn't even get Vesper back on his side because she yeah. was a double agent. Well, he stopped that plane from getting blown up. That is true. Yeah. But that was not his main mission. That was just that yeah, was it's just, funny. He only succeeds at the missions that he doesn't have. Like that was that was the thing that he legitimately like noticed at the last minute. It's like, oh my god, that guy's gonna blow up a plane. Like like nobody told him that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just my mind is like I'm kinda going all over this movie because like I love that whole like because I do get the sense that he's a good guy, that this bond is a decent yeah. dude. Like that. He, put, he, he puts on he can put on kind of a it's, front sometimes. It's a little bit of an ego thing, but he's also just like, well, yeah, we're gonna kill this bad guy, even though that's not necessarily what I'm supposed to do with like the bomb maker and everything. Yeah. But again, it, it just goes to my problem with it is like I just wish that when they talk about it, that it's just not him just smirking about it the mm-hmm. whole time. Like mm-hmm. it's like let's like let's let's dive let's get into that. Let, yeah. Let's like let's write this character a little bit more. I think, um, but. Um, what else? Uh, I like Jeffrey Wright's uh, Felix Leiter. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really have too much to do, no, but it, I mean, it, it's it, a nice it, little Easter egg. I mean, that's the kind of the closest thing to like a, yeah. oh, that character yeah. is. is and it's, like, it's just like nice that it's like, again, it's that kind of relationship where he ends up bankrolling Bond, which again is how they legitimately meet in the Fleming universe. But I think it works in this movie yeah. uh, in that the fact that it's just like Vesper's not going to give him the money and then – it's like Felix is like, well, we don't need the money. Like, do we? Look, that that was funny. Like, do we look like we need the money? That's funny. I but no, but actually, because I I feel like I've been kind of down on him. But I let, let me say something positive. I do like that violent ego streak of Bond. I like this angle because I will say that was the shade of painting this character a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like that he was that he lost the game. He yeah. lost the poker game, mm-hmm. and. uh he and his and he thinks he's out of money, so he's gonna take it upon himself just to go go sneak up on him and kill the guy. Yeah, like so, and it's like, and that was an interesting mm-hmm. kind of like aspect to the character that I I, I think was in there. Um, it's really um, I'm yeah, I'm kind of still going all over all over the place with this movie too. Um, it is kind of interesting that I kind of forgot that like the fact that it's really like quantum in all of this isn't really established until quantum of solace well, it's like, not it's not quantum in all of this wait, to, to begin with it was him james which listen all of his page okay we'll, we'll talk about it more next time but it's clear that they wanted specter it's it's just clear yeah. that that's what they wanted yeah. and they couldn't get it yeah. until specter came out but it was it's just funny because Again, it's just like when you when I was doing research and I realized just how much of it was just from the book. Because the same thing, it's just like in the book, like, Bond doesn't even kill. Uh, he doesn't kill a sheep. Like uh, what? He doesn't kill a sheep. Oh, kill a sheep. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't even kill a sheep. It's that other guy who eventually we find yeah. figure out is a quantum agent. Um, but that's something from the book, except it's Smirsh. But it's just it's very the ending of this movie is very interesting. Uh, leading into that, I have a plot question. Sure. At what point does Vesper turn on him? When she's being tortured. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's what I figured. I wasn't sure if it was like earlier than no, that. No, she's or, when she's okay. being tortured. Okay. Because. Which well, kind of makes you sense. Find, you yeah. find out that they captured her boyfriend. Yeah. And so it, the whole quip that Bond had is that his, his, he's attracted, you know, she's not his type because she's single. 
is also you know and uh, yeah. she ends up being in a relationship. But it makes it makes sense because then the next time we see them together, she's way more aggressive in mm-hmm. terms of like a like oh we should run off together and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but so, yeah, so they Bond is going to retire, just whatever. Which is kind of like M kind of echoes my sentiments with, with that. Remember when he's like, uh, "Where uh, I got your letter? We'll talk about that later." Yeah, yeah, that that was that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, then they end up in Venice, and I will say, like, with all the Venetians, I think this would have been great without like the elaborate action sequence. Because that's how. Okay, so is that how the book ends? So the book is just like she just commits suicide. She overdoses on sleeping pills and leaves him a message. It's like, oh, I was a double agent. Oh, oh. Um, and then in the movie, they're like, well, that's not cinematic. Yeah, I mean, even if it was just like a very, like a very streamlined showdown. Yeah, like, I agree. I because agree. that twist is not bad, and I actually think that it's a very tastefully done and, and executed and, twist. And I think Craig sells it really well. He does in, in that moment, like when he when he's doing the, going through that realization. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's some of his best acting in the movie, to yeah. be quite honest. But I I did feel a sense of like as he's fighting these guys in a falling thing, like, and it's kind of surprising. Yeah, I'm the one saying this because at the, that point I'm like. All right, we can wrap this up. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. so the whole thing is that they're in like uh, an old Venice building yeah. on the canal, and which is, a, I guess, a real thing that the the buildings can sink into the water. And so he basically they get into this old house. He blows up some airbags at the bottom that that was like kind of holding the house together. And the boat, the house starts sinking and starts flooding with water. Vesper is like locked in a cage. Uh, the bad guys that have the $10 million at Besser Soul are like, oh, we're not going to get you, Bond. And then Bond's like, I'm going to get you. It's really like, it's not any, like, especially, it, it's one of those things where just like, in comparison to the fun nature, obviously it's a third act and it's like the most dramatic part of the movie, so it doesn't necessarily have to be fun. But just in, in comparison. But it's still like Bond absurdity where they're like sinking, they're a, sinking a building in Venice. Yes. Yeah. But it's just like in comparison to the initial foot chase with the parkour guy and uh, the, the airport chase sequence, like it's just like this just, it doesn't have that spark and it just doesn't, it doesn't get you invested as much, Honestly, which is really because because the thing is is that like I said, those other two those other two sequences really get you in the stakes of those moments, where it's like you really feel like Bond has to get that guy because he's gonna make a bomb, and then you have to feel like Bond's really gonna get that guy because he's actually gonna blow up this plane, and Bond in that last sequence, you just don't feel those personal stakes. And it does kind of lend itself to the fact that that Vesper Bond relationship isn't as strong as it should be. And it's also like you're, because I do have those questions of when did she turn? And and I'm also like a little unclear because she basically turns against him and then dies. Yes. Like, Like there's really no significant screen time to explore that with her. And plus you're also kind of, battling these villains that we have never been introduced to. Right. Like, cause you know, like obviously Matt Mickelson is dead at this point and he's not also the villain. Like there's, there's no personal stakes in that because obviously they're not even hinting at it's quantum or spec or like, they're not quite, they're like hinting that it's a, it's an organization kind of, but they're not really, it's just like, Oh, it's just another thing that, that Matt Mickelson's bankrolled. Like that's really what it is right, at this right. point. And at the end of the day, you just don't have that investment in the way that you might have is, 
if the Vesper relationship was stronger or if these were villains that, you know, he had been kind of seeing throughout the movie. It really is just kind of like, oh, the twist and his reaction to it and that initial kind of anger at it is great. It is good. But it's just it doesn't hold up to the the rest of that sequence. Uh, I agree. Uh, and I, I think for me it was just like at that point, like it's like, all right, this is a lot. Yeah. It's like it, and then, it's a bit And much. then you get to the very end of the movie, which is – Probably it's still to this day, like of the Craig movies, one of the most iconic moments because it's it's the first time that the full Bond theme plays. It's the first time he says Bond, James Bond. He he shoots Mister White, Mister White. Uh, um, well, but then it's also like because but... they also use the, <coughs> they they use the famous last line from the Casino Royale book, which is "The bitch is dead." That's that was the end of the 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 book. That was very famous at the at the time the Casino Royale came out. So oh, they interesting. Do, they do use that line in the movie, um, and it, it just feels like that's like a scene that's played all the time when it's so it's just such associated with Craig. It's just that moment. But then it's like kind of doing this like Bond origin thing because like that whole like. I don't trust anybody. And then the next like major scene is like theme song kicks in for yeah. the first time mm-hmm. or like first time in full glory. Yeah. And he says, I'm Bond, James Bond. But it's also like, I never take James Bond's like thing to be like, he's like this jaded, not trustworthy person. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, I don't understand why. So I, that's kind of what I'm getting into where it's like this origin kind of like thing is baggage that this movie doesn't need. Um, I I didn't feel that, I, and I felt like after rewatching it again, I just felt that it was it it didn't drag the movie down or compromise it, but it was like a weird thing that if when it came up, I'm like, why are we doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It sounds like I'm more down on this movie. Yeah, than it, I am. it really is, but it's just like this is still like a very solid watch. No, I mean those three points that I brought up, uh, like it, it's a very entertaining movie to watch. I think that in many ways, I think that this is the movie that defines a generation. It's a very memorable definition of yeah. like a new era of Bond. Yeah, I think personally more so than like, mo- like the Dalton movies or the. Not that they were bad. It was just like th- this is just just feels a little bit. It's more, very distinctive. It it's, makes its mark. It makes its mark a yeah. little more. Like I love those Dalton movies, but I can agree that like and like this would be below the Dalton movies for me just in terms of enjoyment. Yeah, but. It also is a movie that really is like it's you. It makes you remember it for better and for worse. I think it's a movie that's just like it does leave an indelible mark of like this is the new Bond. Yeah, and it's because it's like as much as it retains those silly Bond elements, yeah. it still marks to itself. its credit. Yeah, like and it, I say yeah. that's one of the oh, major no, things. It's, it's strength. It's, yeah, it retains those silly Bond elements, but it's it's a testament to again Campbell's directing that it really kind of sits in that new tone yeah and really kind of presents itself as something different just as goldeneye presented itself as something slightly different than what was before it. i think the star in this movie my final words is that is campbell is directs uh directs the hell out of it i think uh i think uh that it's not trying to shy away from the bond stuff it's just kind of reinventing it in its own kind of modern way without being disparaging of the past i i think that works for me mm-hmm. and all the action and everything of tension yeah. uh, is whenever the stakes yeah. have and never I, been higher i know we kind of i i think we glossed over it real quick but i do want to mention that that scene where he's poisoned and trying to save himself is is really good it's great it's really good and i will say that i think the second half of the movie is 
better for character work. Uh, I think that both actors are very good. I think Craig gets a lot uh, to show, mm-hmm. uh, but it also comes at the that comes for me way too late in the movie. Yeah, I would I would not disagree. Is that the first half kind of its strength is on the action sequence? Like, it's really like I also would say that quickly that the first half of the movie is really strong in its action sequences, really strong in its action sequences, but also is a little bit long in the tooth. Like again, it could be streamlined a little bit to get to the to the main Casino Royale stuff quicker. And then you're right. The second half of the movie does finally kind of start to present that real character stuff, but it it just never truly comes together, and they, it does get to the. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like they didn't have her. They didn't have. They started filming the movie without Eva Green. So yeah. it's like, and so, but and it shows half of your movie. She's not even there. Yeah, should have been in the movie earlier. I, I'm not a fan of uh, of introducing we, major characters that are going to impact we, the plot. We, that and we've much talked that about way. this on the plot on the podcast before. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it because even like in like other Bond movies, they introduce characters like a little bit late, but then they. I don't know. I it just didn't work yeah. entirely for me. Uh, that aspect of the movie, not the movie itself. But you know what? I I I still enjoyed watching it. I would say uh, it, it's in that it's in the top of these Craig movies, which I know may not be saying a lot, but I legitimately. I mean, mean it's that, still so. like it's this and Skyfall are are the two. Yeah, and and I mean this is this is one of the better Bond movies. Yeah. I, I do think that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Aftermath. Yes. All right. Cool. So, uh, the film makes its premiere on November fourteenth, two thousand and six. A premiere is intended to by um, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the second, and is her third movie that the Queen has attended after <laughs> You Only Live Twice and Die Another Day. So uh, this is probably the best of the three that she that the Queen has seen. Um, this movie became the new highest grossing Bond movie ever um, when it released. Mm-hmm. It grossed... Dude, I remember people were stoked. Yes. And people loved the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, like, everybody it was... was yeah. Yes, it was... So it ended up making five hundred and ninety nine million dollars worldwide. Couldn't make that last million to get to an even six hundred, um, and it broke uh, box office series records for opening in the UK. Um, it uh, it did open second to Happy Feet in the United States, though. So really, uh, I actually vaguely remember that. Because I remember going to see Happy Feet, and everybody wanted to know why was it, why wasn't I going to go see mm-hmm. James Bond? That's because I want to see Penguins dance. Uh, the film was very well reviewed. A lot of uh, Craig's uh, critics kind of shut their mouths after mm-hmm. the movie. That like they were very impressed, especially with Craig's performance. Um, the Daily Telegraph compared uh, Craig to, to to Connery and and thought that the script was very smart. And how it departs from all the series convention, you know that's what the thing everybody's going to sure, say. Yeah. Um, but, but, but but it really. But, re- but in this in this in this case, it is true. Like in this case, like this is like oh, they're reinventing it. Yeah. Like, and I will acknowledge that. And I think while I would have problems narrative wise, I would think that this is a successful reinvention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which is crazy. I I will say. Can I can I say this bit? Yeah. So we have another friend, uh, a listener of the podcast, Jim. I'm mentioning you. Hey, Jim. Yeah, Jim wants to be mentioned on the podcast, but he made an excellent point uh, about it. Where let's not like let's give credit where credits due. It is impressive that they took the time and the acknowledgement of what happened with Die Another Day, and just within one. Uh, cycle of making the movies made a completely different take yeah like and like and and we're elite and we're successful about it and i and you know that's nothing to scoff at yeah yeah 
Um, so yeah, it was pretty much well reviewed across the board. Uh, even Roger Moore went out in the media to to write an article about how much he enjoyed Craig as a performer and just how we did something different as Bond. Um, the detractors of this movie were not as much focused on Craig's performance as they were focused on they they didn't like the the, the greediness of the movie. That yeah. you know, the one quote that I was reading was basically like if you if you stripped bond of of the fun and the gadgets you just get jason bourne you just made a jason bourne movie yeah i i remember that criticism which i didn't feel watching it it was more just so like it just stood out Mm -hmm. like it was like and it luckily it was like weird enough where it wasn't like oh that's too much it was just like that's a really weird choice Mm -hmm. that you made to make this be quote-unquote real and then uh daniel craig was nominated for a bafta for best actor awesome and uh, he didn't win, but <laughs> uh, good. I'm good sure day. there was some slight press about like, does Daniel Craig deserve an Oscar for this performance? No. Like, and then no. no. I mean, not no, really. No, he doesn't. No, Mm-mm. you don't get Oscars for smirking at people. <laughs> um. So, yeah. but really, at the end of the day, the risk of kind of doing, you know, going back to the basics. Getting Casino Royale, yeah. losing the Spider-Man rights, getting owned by Sony, all that stuff eventually paid off for everybody in the end. This movie was widely successful, and the Craig era seemed to be getting off on the right foot. <laughs> well, uh, Nick, um, that that's Craig. That that's a, that's the first that's the first Casino, Casino Royale. Royale. I, I don't know what else to say. That's the that's the good Casino Royale. <laughs> and listen, we're not too far away from watching the bad Casino Royale, so. Awesome. We'll have another Casino Royale this year. All right. Well, I've said everything I needed to say on the movie. All right. Uh, yeah. Still, so still enjoy. Just, it's still yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, go, I think it's enjoyable. Through. I think it's still like it's still on my positive side of the bond line. Oh yeah. One, oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It's still, I mean, yeah. As much as we kind of debated the merits of this movie, it is on my positive side. Yeah. So next time for the Bond side of things, it's gonna be sorry, but it, it will be more interesting that once we've watched all these movies to do like the retrospective of all of them. I'm Craig because yeah. I will 100 percent be honest that because I know the entire four movies so far that it it, it does paint uh, my not my entire analysis of it. It's just I, I kind of know where this movie's going. Yeah, where the series going. Yeah, yeah so there, there's a little bit of that, but. Um, yeah, so anyway. Uh yeah, oh, sorry, I'm done. We're done. We're Good. done. So uh so first of all, let's let's talk about the next times. Yes. Oh so, yeah, so for Bond so next Bond, time. So Bond next time, um the writers go on strike and it leads to Quantum of Solace. If you didn't if you thought a man couldn't do a a chase on every form of a vehicle, <laughs> then you were wrong. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll yeah. talk about uh, the next Bond movie, Quantum Solace. But in, but Nick, next time it's not a Bond movie. No, it's not. It's a Godzilla movie. It is. We're going to space, Nick. Ooh, 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 I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for this one. Well, space comes to us. <laughs> well, we kind of go to space. In space, no one can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Godzilla versus space Godzilla That's in the cool. next film, Godzilla versus. versus. Space Godzilla. Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. This summer, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. The battle that will shake the cosmos. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're back. We're happy to be back. And um... the Big Bang created the universe, and this battle will end it. And 
as we said at the beginning, we're having a ton of fun with this podcast. Yes. We do appreciate anybody who does listen. And we do have some cool plans, things that we want to do this year. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah, some, some things include uh, bigger social media presence, uh, which Nick and I have been talking about. Uh, but we've also been talking about uh, other little episodes uh, that we're doing. Yeah, There's, maybe middle mean morsels in yeah, between. Yeah, there, there are things um, that we, we may have new releases and pieces of news that we may want to talk about that we may get on the mics to talk about briefly. Uh, we may even think about having people on the the show if we can get that to, to sort happen. Of, sort of little little bitty pieces, maybe about specific things we didn't really get to go fully into. Yeah, or or aspects that you know uh, we don't uh, that aren't necessarily like us doing the formal movie history and viewings. Yeah. Uh, but yes, and we also might have guests uh, come on and join us just to talk about their views on the franchise and maybe a little specific topic they're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well now we're really done. I'm really done. We're really done. Okay. Bonzillapod at gmail.com is our email address. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla007. Facebook.com slash Bonzilla007. You can like and subscribe, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Um, yeah. And until then? The bitch is- oh, God. <laughs> the bitch is dead, my little chef. Yeah. <laughs> it's Lashif. Lashif. <laughs>